Well, Merry Christmas. We can, it's not too late to say that, right? Hope you had a blessed week and uh, rested up some or getting over all the food you ate. Uh, my name's Joe. I have the honor, the joy of preaching this evening. So before I do that, let me pray for us one more time. Father, we remember the angel's message to the shepherds in the fields that he was bringing good news of great joy that's for all people. So thank you, Father, that the birth of Jesus, it is great joy, the news of great joy for all people. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to see that in this text from Galatians this evening. Help me to speak and preach your word clearly, faithfully, and with power from your Spirit. And Lord, help us to meet with Christ. Help us to worship him as the Magi did. Lord, meet us in this time, and I ask for your help in Jesus' name. I'm sure that all of you at one time in your life or another have felt excluded from a special group of people. Perhaps it's been from a sports team or a circle of friends or even something like an elite airline members club. Now, if we're honest, right, we've also at one time or another been on the inside of a special group of people, and we liked it, right? We've enjoyed that sense of honor and the perks that come with belonging. After all, who doesn't want to belong to that elite airline members club? Fly first class, go to those fancy lounges, right? Well, the scripture passage that Isadora just read this evening from Galatians is all about a very special group of people. In fact, it's about the most important group of people in the history of the world, and that is the children of Abraham, which, as we will see, is a family that we can all belong to. Now, if I were to go out on the street right now, and go up to strangers and ask them the question, are you a child of Abraham? They would probably look at me like I was crazy. What are you talking about? Well, forget strangers on the streets. I wonder how many of you today woke up and said, I'm thankful that I'm a child of Abraham. Probably not many of you, right? When you stop and think about it, the Bible is actually quite a strange book. How does a Middle Eastern man who lived 4,000 years ago have anything to do with my life and my future? And even if he is important in history, how in the world do I become one of his offspring, as it says in the text that we just read? Well, with the time we have together this evening, I want to look at these few verses in Galatians and ask Three simple questions. What is the significance of being a child of Abraham? How does one become a child of Abraham? And lastly, and this is the main point, hopefully it comes through, why the answer to these first two questions is good news for the whole world. So first, what is the significance of being a child of Abraham? Well, another way to ask this question is, Why should I care whether or not I'm Abraham's child? Well, the quick answer to the question can be found in verse 29. 
where it says that the children of Abraham are heirs according to promise. Now, it's nice to be an heir, right? That is one who has the right to an inheritance. But it's one thing to be the heir or heiress of a rich family with lands and properties all over the globe. But it's another thing to be the heir of your grandma's old dusty bookshelf or cabinet. See, ultimately, the good news of being an heir comes down to this. What is the inheritance? So we must ask this important question. What are the children of Abraham heirs of? Well, I think the clue is in verse 29, where it says we are heirs according to promise. The children of Abraham are the heirs of the promises made to Abraham. Unfortunately, time is too short to go into all of the promises in detail, but let me try to summarize them, the substance of them, in three ways. First, there's the promise of God's blessing, his favor. There's the promise of land, and there's the promise of a kingdom. So in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the first book of the Bible, We read that God appeared to this man, Abraham, seemingly out of nowhere. And God starts making these amazing promises to him. And at the heart of these promises is the promise that God would bless Abraham. But not only that, but that in Abraham, all the families of the earth would also be blessed. So if we started reading... From Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 12, this word blessing would actually jump out at us. Why is that? Well, because back in Genesis chapter 3, which Steve, Pastor Steve preached on a few weeks ago in the run-up to Advent, we read, we read of when a curse came upon Adam and Eve and then came upon the earth itself. And as most of you know, right, this curse came as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, their rebellion against God. And at that time, Adam and Eve's relationship with God turned from one of blessing to a curse because they sinned against God. They ate the forbidden fruit. But fast forward a few chapters. Here in chapter 12, God is now promising to Abraham that he's going to reverse this curse with a blessing. The very things that Adam and Eve lost when they sinned, Abraham would enjoy once again. In and then through Abraham, the blessing of reconciliation with God would come. There would be joy in God's presence for all the families of the earth. Well, in Genesis chapter 15, a few chapters later, says that Abraham believed in this promise from God and that it was counted to him as righteousness. And then the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years later, writing this letter to the Galatians, the church in Galatia, he also says that every one of us who trusts in God, in Jesus Christ, our faith will be counted to us as righteousness. We, they, will enjoy the blessing of the forgiveness of sins, 
acceptance with God, and eternal life in God's presence. So that's the first piece of the promise, blessing, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God. But then, in Genesis chapter 15, God also promised to Abraham and his descendants land. Now, it's tempting here to think that this promised land is the land of Israel and Palestine as we know it today. But that's actually mistaken, according to Paul. Look with me at Romans chapter 4, verse 13. It says this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come from the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham and his descendants weren't promised just a small piece of land in the Middle East. They were promised the entire earth. This means that Abraham's children are heirs of the world. And then last, third part of God's promise. God promised to Abraham that he would become a great nation, a nation from which kings would come. And ultimately, the story of Scripture, we see that this true king, this ultimate king, is Jesus. He is the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is the son of God. So in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus, our king, says this. He's talking about the faith of a non-Jewish person. And he says this, for Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So, the descendants of Abraham, the children of Abraham, are also heirs of God's eternal kingdom. A kingdom that is ruled by Jesus Christ, right? A kingdom that will have no end and a kingdom that's doors are open to all the nations, all the families, all the peoples of the earth. So the question, what's the significance of being a child of Abraham, one of his descendants? Well, we are heirs of the precious and magnificent promises made to Abraham. There's the promise of God's blessing, forgiveness for sins, a right and peaceful relationship with God. There's this promise of land, not a small little piece of land in the Americas, Africa, Asia, Europe, wherever you're from, not even the land of Israel and Palestine only. It's the promise of the entire earth. And then lastly, there's this promise that we are heirs of an eternal kingdom, Christ's kingdom. It will have no end and its glory surpasses anything ever known or that we'll ever know on earth. So let's pause here for a moment. Think with me how different your life might have looked this past week if you were thinking about these amazing promises more often, right? How often are you thinking, or to use a powerful biblical word, how often are you meditating 
on what God has promised to you, what your inheritance is as a child of Abraham. Right? How much more joy, how much more peace, how much more gratitude, even how much more capacity for patience and kindness would we all have if our minds and our hearts were set on this inheritance, on these amazing promises. So as we turn the page into 2024, if you're setting goals, resolutions, I want to challenge you. Often we think more about what we need to do. And I want to challenge you in the new year to think more about what God has already done for you. Think more about what God has promised to you. And one way I thought you could do this, very practical, if you're going to read through Scripture in the new year, which is a great goal, daily reading of the Bible, take note every day of what you see that God has done for you or his people and what he promises to do for you in the future. This way of thinking will change your life as we remember and reflect on what God has done, what he's promised for us, there, in that way, our hearts will be changed. So second question, how do we become children of Abraham, these heirs according to promise? Now, it goes without saying that to be an heir is to be part of a special group, an exclusive group of people. And so it raises the question, how can we know that we're in? That is, how can we be certain, certain that we belong to Abraham's family and have this right of inheritance? This concept of inheritance is a big deal all over the world. And the evidence of it is there's all kinds of laws, traditions, customs surrounding the rights of inheritance. So we need to understand how does the Bible define the right of inheritance when it comes to Abraham and to his family? Well, we find the answer to this question also in verse 29. Paul says that those who are of Christ are of the seed of Abraham. The children of Abraham, those who have the right of inheritance, are those who belong to Christ. So how does this work? How does it work that if you are of Christ, you are also of the seed of Abraham? Seems like Paul's just mashing these two things together. Well, Paul helps us with an answer. In Galatians 3.16, just a few verses before our passage, Paul says this, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Got to look at that carefully. This is a stunning claim by Paul. He is saying here that ultimately all the promises that God made to Abraham in the book of Genesis, they weren't made to the whole Jewish nation and people, but to Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the true and singular seed of Abraham. He is the sole heir, rightful heir, of all of God's promises to Abraham. Now, this is very easy 
to make the mistake here and think that all the promises of God to Abraham were made to all of the people of Jewish heritage. It is for them, but if we think just because they were born that way, it's for them, we would be wrong. Paul says that the only rightful heir of the promises to Abraham is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, this means that the way to become part of Abraham's family isn't by belonging to Israel or the Jewish nation, some sort of physical or genetic connection to Abraham. No, it's through connection to Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul says in verse 7 of Galatians. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. But faith in what? Faith in whom? Paul is very clear. Faith in Jesus Christ. The path to becoming a true heir, an offspring of Abraham, is through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what's amazing here in this text we see, in trusting in Jesus, we become connected to Abraham, part of his family, of his seed and offspring, but we also become the very sons of God. That's what Paul says at the beginning, verse 26. We are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the true sons of Abraham, the ones to whom the promises belong, are those who belong to Jesus Christ by faith. So I want to stop here, take a moment, and address two important matters. First, I want to talk about baptism, because it's right here in the passage. And I want to talk about this emphasis Paul has on sons. So first, now it's true that the first step to becoming a child of God and a rightful heir is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it says in verse 26. You're all sons of God through faith. But then look at verse 27. Paul goes on to say that we not, we not only trust in Jesus Christ, but we have been baptized into him. We have been clothed with him. So when you trust in Jesus, a miracle happens. Something that is truly a mystery. You become united to Jesus Christ and to his death and resurrection. When you trust in Jesus, his death on the cross to sin becomes your death to sin. His life and resurrection to God becomes your life, your resurrection in God. See, this is a silent but incredible miracle that happens when we trust in Jesus. Spiritually, we die and rise again and we're united to Christ. But... The way that we give evidence to this is by the physical act of baptism. When we're baptized into water, we are testifying to ourselves, to the church, to the angels, to the world, that we belong to Jesus Christ. So this means that baptism isn't some bonus feature in the Christian life. Something that's optional, take it or leave it. It's actually unthinkable to Jesus and his apostles that one would trust in Jesus, follow Jesus, and not be baptized. 
It doesn't make sense. Throughout the New Testament, there's this call, the call to repent from sin, to believe, to trust in Jesus Christ, and then to be baptized. They go together. They shouldn't be separated. They shouldn't be treated as optional, any one of them. Repent, believe, and be baptized. So, I want to urge you this evening, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're seeking to live and walk by faith in Him day in, day in and day out, and you haven't been baptized, do it soon. We'll actually be having a baptism ceremony. In, what's the date? It wasn't in the announcement. Putting Steve on the spot. 21st. Thank you. 21st of January, we'll be having a baptism service, and you can be baptized at that. You can speak to your home group leader, speak to an elder or pastor, and you can be part of that group. So I want to urge you, take that step of faith. Well, the second thing I want to look at in this passage is Paul's emphasis on sons. I imagine that maybe some of you when you're reading this passage, you're feeling a bit uneasy, or you have questions. Like, why does Paul, in verse 26, speak of sons and not daughters? Or even, why does he not say the children of God? Well, if you're asking such a question, I want to encourage you. It's good. Good to ask hard questions. And then in faith, in prayer, to wrestle with the Scriptures, with the Holy Spirit's help, for answers. So here's my answer why Paul is focused on sons here. And there's two parts to it. First, we need to consider the immediate context, chapter 3 of Galatians, in which this passage is written. As I said, the focus is on the rights of inheritance. Paul is answering the question to whom belong the promises made to Abraham? And this leads to the second point. In Paul's world, actually in ancient biblical Israel, the inheritance always belonged to the sons. That's how it worked. And in the Greek and Roman world in which Paul was writing, also a rich landowner would give his inheritance to his sons. So this means that Paul uses son language and not daughters or children here because he's talking about the rights of inheritance, which was the exclusive domain of sons when he was writing. So understanding this background helps us to make sense of verse 27. In Paul's statement, there is neither male nor female. This is a shocking, radical thing that Paul is saying. He is saying that though in the ancient world, inheritance was only for sons, it's not this way in God's kingdom. The way to become a son of God, a rightful heir, is through faith in Jesus. And that's the same whether you're a man or you're a woman. So this is a radical statement that Paul actually makes at that time. So through faith in Jesus, we become sons of God. That is, legitimate, rightful heirs of all of God's promises. And this leads to my last point, which is, or question, why is the, are the answers to these first two questions good news for
for the world. Let me leave you with three reasons why the truths we've just looked at or are looking at are such good news for all nations and all peoples. First, this is good news for the world because we have all have equal access to God's favor and kingdom. Right? The world in which we live is a confusing place. On the one hand, we delight in belonging to exclusive clubs and groups with special privileges, but then often at the very same moment, we're all angry about how there's not equal access for all. And rightfully, we hate it when there's certain people from certain backgrounds, ethnicities, genders, whatever it may be, who have special access over others. And sadly, this world as we know it is filled with unfairness, filled with hypocrisy. Blessings for some to the exclusion of others. Well, this is what Paul is addressing. This problem in the world is what he is addressing in verse 28, when he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. Paul is aware of all the divisions in this world, the world in which we live, and he wants us to see and grasp how different his kingdom is. The promises of God to Abraham of eternal blessing, ultimately, we see it in Christ, they're available to everyone, to all. Everyone who would humble themselves, repent of their sin, and put their faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of ethnicity, social status, gender, background. So the good news is this, that we have to share. In sharing the gospel of Christ, we offer truly equal access to the greatest blessing, the greatest riches in the world, which are found in Jesus Christ. And they are open to all. Second, this passage is good news for the world because it teaches us that once we're in, we're on the inside, we don't have to change. Paul says in verse 27 that we are all one in Christ Jesus. But notice how it goes on in verse 28. We are one as Jews, as Greeks, as those who are more privileged or less privileged in this world, as male, as female. Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, to the churches, because there were some Jewish Christians who came down and taught that once you trusted in Jesus, that was a good start. You were on your way to becoming part of Abraham's family, but you needed to change your culture. You needed to start following the Mosaic law. See, these false teachers, they are very tricky. They were teaching that the way to start is by faith in Jesus, but once you're in, you need to change. You need to become like a Jew. Paul has no tolerance for this. He says, all who trust in Jesus Christ are one. And this means that we can go on living our lives in much the same way as we did before we trusted in Jesus. Now, important point, hear me carefully, provided we are not living in sin, we don't have to change. Our culture, our lifestyle, 
our habits, our ways of looking, we are free to enjoy and live the lives we want to live. Again, provided it's not in sin and that we act in love, which is a whole other message for another time, but we are free. So the good news of the gospel that we offer to the world is equal access of eternal riches in Christ freely without changing the way you look and the way you live. And we don't have to change people to make them more like us. And this last point is this, the good news that we offer to the world in Jesus Christ, we are no longer bound, bound by the claims and demands and promises of this world. What do I mean? Well, to be part of certain groups in this world comes with certain expectations, certain threats and certain promises. And the world wants to define us according to our backgrounds, the way we look, etc. Well, Paul, later in Galatians, says this, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does Paul mean? Paul is saying that when you trust in Jesus, when you are baptized into him, when you are clothed with Christ, you are no longer defined by how this world would define you or by your former lives before coming to faith in Christ. The former religions that you once followed no longer have any claim on you. You are free. You're no longer bound by your family or tribe, tribe's expectations of you. You are free in Christ. At the same time, you're freed from this rat race in the world of seeking ultimate meaning, seeking ultimate riches in academics and career advancement, etc., etc., right? Simply through faith in Jesus, we have become the children of God. And we are now heirs of eternal riches of glory. We've done nothing to deserve these riches. It's not our prayers. It's not our good works. And it's nothing in relation to our family background, our nationality, our gender. It's simply by God's grace through faith in Jesus, that we become rightful heirs as God's sons. So, the good news that we offer to the world in Christ, in the gospel, is that God's kingdom and his riches are open to all. To all who would humble themselves, repent of sin, trust in Christ, and that all can come without having to change the way they look, or the way they live their lives, provided the repenting of sin. And there is freedom, freedom at the same time to no longer be defined by all the ways the world wants to define us. We are free in Christ, free to belong and free to become more and more like Christ as we have clothed ourselves with him. So, in closing... Let me tie this message into the Christmas story. When the angel appeared to the shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem, he said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news of great joy for all people. Yet, at the same time, it's only good news to those who belong to Abraham's family. So, if you're not yet trusting in Jesus, we commend him to you. Be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. And if you are trusting in Jesus, I hope that you go from this place thinking about what Paul has written here with greater confidence, a renewed sense of confidence in the gospel. It truly is the greatest news in all the earth. So let's be bold and share it to the ends of the earth. We have this great treasure. And let's remember that there are more and more seats open next to Abraham in the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your grace, Lord, that we did nothing to deserve your love, your favor. Thank you that you came and called us by name and opened our hearts, granted us faith in Jesus. We give you praise. We give you thanks. We pray, Father, that we would leave from this place this evening thinking, meditating upon this inheritance that is ours in your Son. I pray, Father, that um, we would have greater joy, greater peace in reflecting on all that Christ has done and what you promise to us in him. And I pray, Father, that you would give us a joy that overflows, that goes out to others. Lord, help us to share this good news of great joy to more and more people. And Lord, we pray, draw many, many more in this new year. Bring many, many more into your kingdom through faith in Jesus, even through us and our witness, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.